Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. The context for today's gospel is the same as what we've heard the last several weeks. Jesus is giving a long speech to his disciples on Monday, Thursday, before they go to, go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus will be betrayed and arrested. As we've been hearing, Jesus is preparing the apostles for things to come. And in today's gospel, the focus is twofold, that Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit who will bear witness of him, that is, of Christ, and that Jesus is also alerting the disciples of the persecution that they will face for bearing witness to Christ. I think these, theme, these themes are certainly fitting for us to consider on this Sunday, the final Sunday of Easter before Pentecost, and the only Sunday that occurs between the ascension of our Lord on the 40th day of Easter and the Feast of Pentecost on the 50th day. Before our Lord ascended into heaven, he told the disciples that they shall wait in Jerusalem because they will soon receive the Holy Spirit. And so just 10 days after his ascension, the Holy Spirit came. We will hear of that joyous and momentous occasion next Sunday. The time in which the disciples had to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit was short. But yet, they had to engage in another type of wait. For the Holy Spirit did come, but our Lord Jesus Christ, who ascended on up into heaven, did not return in their lifetimes. And while we enjoy the blessings of the coming of the Holy Spirit, we are also engaging in a time of waiting as we anticipate the return of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in power and glory on the last day. In our epistle lesson today, St. Peter anticipates that return of Christ by saying the end of all things is at hand. Yet St. Peter wrote those words over 1,900 years ago, and yet his words still remain true. The end of all things is at hand. For we are, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, living in the end times as we anticipate the return of Jesus for judgment and his ushering in of the new creation. St. Peter was taught by our Lord Jesus Christ during our Lord's ministry for three years. St. Peter was there on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus gave these words, these instructions to the apostles. St. Peter received in a most miraculous way the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, guiding Peter to expound the scriptures and proclaim Christ's death and resurrection to the multitude, this man, Jesus, whom you crucified, our Lord, has raised up. And so guided by that same spirit, St. Peter wrote 
today's epistle reading. St. Peter reminded God's people of the fiery trials that they will face on account of their faith as they and us live in the end times. He teaches us not to be surprised by those fiery trials, for they are to test us. He calls on us to rejoice whenever we share in Christ's sufferings, that we may also be glad when Jesus' glory is revealed on the last day. St. Peter, writing by the Holy Spirit, says that we will be blessed if we are insulted for the name of Christ, for the spirit of glory then rests upon us. These words may sound very strange to many Christians. We bristle at the idea of having persecution when we should be standing in God's grace and in his care and that everything should be good for us. That's what we want, of course. And many Christian preachers conveniently skip over passages like these because suffering and persecution do not fit their narrative. They want you to believe that being a Christian means that you can enjoy a happy-go-lucky life filled with material abundance. Some do so. Some of these so-called preachers, itinerant preachers we could call them, because what they're doing is they're getting rich, leading many to believe that if they give to God by giving their hard-earned money to this or that ministry, then they're told that God will give back to them tenfold. So if they give to that ministry a hundred bucks, somehow God will give them back a thousand. Meanwhile, those false teachers who are misleading them and making them believe that Christianity is just a life of ease and comfort are getting rich. But imagine if that were true. You give a hundred to the church, you get a thousand back somehow rather quickly. All Christians would then be filthy rich. But Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we can diminish Christianity to mere material wealth. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not sacrificed on the cross so that we can fatten ourselves with pleasure and give in to all our carnal desires. Jesus did not come as one who could, had no place to lay his head, one who was persecuted, one who was beaten, and one who was crucified, so that our hope in him could be reduced to a life of ease or wealth or gluttony or fleshly passions. Plus, we are reminded of Jesus' own words that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. We in this life live in a time of waiting, and we do so in a world that is filled with sin and corruption, for we ourselves have inherited the sinful flesh. And so we anticipate the return of Christ we plead guilty of our sin and we cling to the words and promises of God. And in the creed, we confess that we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. 
We don't sit back passively pretending that nothing's going to happen in our lifetime because nothing's happened in the past 1,900 years concerning the return of Jesus. But our minds and hearts look beyond the fleeting things of this world around us and toward the coming glories that shall be revealed in the resurrection of all flesh. Our eyes are so fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for he has saved us through his bitter sufferings and death. He has overcome death in the grave by his glorious resurrection, and he promises to make all things new when he returns in glory. The apostles, upon receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, <clears throat> went everywhere to spread the good news that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ who is crucified. He has been raised from the dead. They entered the synagogues on the Sabbath to tell those who are anticipating the, the coming Messiah that Jesus has indeed come telling many who had not yet heard of the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies that Christ has come, he was crucified, he has risen, he has ascended. These apostles told many of the works of Christ. They announced that salvation is secured by Jesus alone, that he has overcome death in the grave, that forgiveness of sins is available to all who call upon him, and that our Lord Jesus Christ, the victorious Lamb of God, is now seated in heaven as our King and great High Priest. Many rejoiced at this good news. Many heard this message and believed it. But others would not have it. And in rejecting the message, they rejected those whom Christ had sent to serve as the messenger. In rejecting the messengers, they reject Christ himself, and in rejecting Christ, they reject God, the Heavenly Father. Jesus told the apostles that they would be put out of the synagogues, and those who kill them will think that they are offering God's service. We heard that in today's gospel. Most of the apostles were martyred. It's believed that all of them were, except for St. John who was exiled as an elderly man on an island for criminals. To be martyred is to be put to death for faithfully proclaiming Christ's advent. It's interesting that in verse 27 of our gospel, Jesus said to the apostles, you will bear witness. And then a couple of verses later, he says that they will be killed. The Greek word for witness is the Greek word martyr. Reo, which is where we now get the word martyr. So we took a Greek word that means witnessing, and we now use it to describe those who have died while confessing their faith. For they certainly serve as witnesses to Christ. Their witnessing of Christ led to their martyrdom. Those who put Christians to death think that they are doing the right thing. As Jesus prophesied, they think they are doing God's service. They think they're fighting on God's behalf. Many today think that they are doing God's service when they also persecute true Christianity and those who cling to God's truth alone. 
It's easy now to pick on the Muslims who believe that their cause of killing infidels, that is, those who are not Muslim, is a holy work. But Jesus here is talking about those who think that they are offering him service as they kill Christians. In the church, we need to remember the martyrs, even those who have died by the hands of those who consider themselves Christian. These martyrs serve for us as great examples of the faith. Their examples can strengthen us as we face opposition or challenges from being Christian. Christian school teachers are often forced to check their faith out the door when they enter schools, not allowed to say anything of the hope that is within them. Seeing children who are hurting, who cannot be given the consolation of the gospel. Christians in the workforce are forced to acknowledge desired pronouns instead of how God created individuals, male and female, he created them. Christian parents are told that they must forfeit the divine service to allow their children to remain on the sports team. As Christians, we don't cave in to all these societal trends or the demands of the secular world around us. Instead, we fight the good fight of faith, contending for the truth of God's word. The first to die for their faith in their belief in the teachings of the Lutheran Reformation were Jan van Essen and Hendrik Voss. They were... They died in Brussels, Belgium, not in Germany, as many may have suspected. We are, in fact, coming up on the 500th anniversary of their martyrdom on July 1st, 1523. It all started when a monastery in Antwerp learned of the teachings of the Lutheran Reformation. It heard the gospel presented to them a right for the first time. And they agreed that these teachings are true. But when the monks learned that they risked being burned alive for adopting Lutheran beliefs, all but three of them recanted. One ended up in prison until his death about five years later. And the other two were burned at the stake. Normally, the charges against them are read prior to their execution. That ought to happen. A criminal is told of what he's done before this execution. But in this case, they refused to state the charges against these two men. It could have been that the Roman Catholic Church feared more people would be converted if the faith of these two men is revealed through the charges being leveled against them. This event brought much grief to Dr. Martin Luther, but it also resulted in the writing of his first ballad, A New Song Now Shall Be Begun, and he would go on to write nearly 40 more hymns and ballads. The most prolific year was the following year, the year of our Lord, 1524. We live in a time 
And we live in a land where martyrdom is rare. But there are places across the globe where it is incredibly dangerous to be a Christian and where severe persecution or martyrdom are not uncommon. Not a day goes by in this world where Christians are not jailed or tortured. Some are maimed, some are abducted, molested, and even persecuted. We need to be praying for the persecuted. The faithful will not renounce their faith as they suffer, for they would rather die confessing Christ than extend their earthly lives by renouncing the very one who bled and died for their salvation. But many of our persecuted brethren would do. Consider what they would do and what they would desire to have just once. What we enjoy ever so peacefully every week in this house of God. Meanwhile, we sometimes go on thinking that we're being tortured when the church suggests giving a tithe of our income or when we are taught to go to church every Sunday, not just when it's convenient for our lavish lifestyle, when we are told to open our mouths and sing boldly, or when we are told to listen intently to the word, or when we are told to attend Bible study, or learn Bible passages by heart. Put this way, we really do think such things are so torturous. We really deserve a famine of God's word. But thankfully, God grants us far more than we ask or think, even showering his grace upon us when we, by our very actions, demonstrate our ingratitude. This past Thursday was Ascension Day, the day our Lord Jesus ascended on up into heaven. In the Gospel reading from Mark, Jesus rebuked the disciples' hardness of heart and unbelief because they did not believe those who had seen that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But yet he immediately instructs them after rebuking them of their unbelief and hardness of heart. He tells them to go out into all the world and proclaim the saving gospel. So after rebuking them, Jesus tells them to do the very opposite of what they are doing. So instead of unbelieving with hard hearts, to go out, be bold, be believing, proclaim the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the same way, instead of God punishing us with death for our timidity or laziness in Christian growth, Jesus still calls on us to teach our little ones. Jesus still forgives us. He still keeps the word of God in our midst. He still counts us as his redeemed children. He still hears the prayers that we bring before him. And he still has a place prepared for us in paradise. We receive these blessings not because we are saved by our works, 
but by grace. Our failures do not result in condemnation unless they result in unbelief. But instead, Jesus forgives our sins and he cleanses us of all unrighteousness as he guides us Christians to repent and cling to Christ alone. Jesus warned the apostles of the suffering that they will face, but he also strengthened them by sending the Holy Spirit who guided them into all the truth. That same Spirit of God is at work today, guiding us and blessing us through the word. Christ Jesus was crucified to take away our sin and to grant us, sinners, the gift of life, that we may be counted acceptable to the Lord in the day of judgment. Jesus also teaches us that servants are not above their master. And so as Jesus suffered, so shall those who serve him. Guided by the Holy Spirit, St. Paul declares that all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But in the midst of cross and trial, even as we face persecution, we know that Christ has not left us alone. He continues to be our Emmanuel God with us, and he serves as our good shepherd. He laid down his life to grant us everlasting life. And because he lives, we too shall live and join him in the gates of heaven. And so we bear our crosses and we do not lose heart. We keep focus on the blessings that we have in Christ. We lay hold of his forgiveness and receive joyfully the salvation he brings coming to his table and receiving the body and blood of Christ and thereby being united with him. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.